And then he gives that teaching on the cost of following him. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, he gives this teaching. And then Jesus models this for us on the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he had to submit to the Father's will. He sacrificed his own will. And it was a pain and suffering exercise, but it was a refining process. And that's, this is what it means to carry our own cross. You see, Jesus, he, he taught this, he did this, and he did it as a model for all the future disciples. So when he says, everyone must take up their own cross, we read that and go, okay, it's about submission. How do I submit to the Father's will? How do I sacrifice, deny my own self? How do I sacrifice my own will despite how much I feel about something if it's not the Father's will and I need to submit and sacrifice that? But Jesus, what Jesus promises also is that to follow him, it, it's not a, an easy joyride all the time in the sense that there's joy, but it's not always in our human eyes what it means to have fun and celebrate all the time. There are times of pain and suffering, and it's intended to be a refining process, much like the symbolisms in the Bible about pruning a plant, so that is, you know, it, it, you have to cut it in order to grow even more, to rebirth, right? Or this idea of refiner's gold, that if you want to refine gold, you got to burn it and smelt it so you get all the impurities out, so that what you get is a pure, solid material of gold. The disciples of Jesus, those who really want to follow Jesus, are the ones who are willing to take up their cross, just like him. I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure that when the disciples heard this teaching from Jesus, it didn't make a lot of sense. You're, you're an incredible man of God. Why would you die on a cross? It just doesn't fit their, their understanding. But I'm pretty sure that it probably made a lot more sense after the resurrection. I'm pretty sure after Jesus resurrected and showed them, they're going, ah, yes. This makes a lot more sense. This has to be the same with us. When we think about this teaching about following Jesus, about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, we have to do this with the resurrection in mind. Because without the resurrection in mind, you cannot ask the very one question that everyone asks whenever they're faced with the opportunity to sacrifice. And that's this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Anytime you are faced with an opportunity to sacrifice yourself for something, you always ask yourself this question, is it worth it? Think about anyone who has ever sacrificed for a loved one. Is it worth it? Parents out there, the things you do for your kids, it's an incredible sacrifice. But I bet you your answer is, it is worth it, right? It is worth it. I remember when I, uh, my first job out of college was at Con Edison, and I was uh, brought into this management program. They, they heralded it as this sort of top program that if you can get through this program, you're going to do really well in this company. And they only selected a few people. And so I'm there for the orientation. And one of these top-notch guys, he sits us down, and he tries to give us the ethos or the value of the company. And he says this. He goes, this, this is the priority I, you need. If you want to succeed in this company, you can have a lucrative career. But if you want to succeed, this is the value system you have to have in your life. Number one is this company, Con Edison. Number two, 
Your family, number three, God, religion, however you want to do two and three, that's up to you. But number one has to be Con Ed. And we're sitting there going, mm, not sure this is worth it. And it wasn't. I left after nine months. Because for me, my relationship with Jesus was well worth it, far more than any money I could have made in that company. This is one of those teachings um, that actually tests the congruence of our cognitive theology. What I mean by that is what we know about theology versus practical theology, what we actually do about it. This is one of those teachings where it, it really forces a test of what we know to what we actually do. Because you see, on paper, I, I'm pretty sure on paper and on principle, most of you are sitting here, yep, I agree. Yep. I, I've, I've read this message before. I, I understand. To follow Jesus, I need to sacrifice some of my own will. I gotta take on my cross. I gotta deny myself because it's worth it. I gotta follow Jesus. It makes sense up here. But there are moments where you are actually faced with that circumstance. You know what most of us often say? Really, Jesus? That's, that's, that's what I got to do in this situation? That's what it means to deny myself? Like, really? Is that what it means to follow you? See, every single day we, are, we find ourselves in situations where we are forced to make a decision whether to glorify God or not. It's plain and simple. What I've discovered is that uh, a lot of times when we're in the decision of making decisions, or uh, sometimes it's, it's easy to make a decision. Sometimes it's black and white to make a right decision for God. And most times, though, it's not. There's always a little bit of gray in our lives. And I find that a lot of times when we ask these questions, when in those gray, we ask, what is the right thing to do, and what does the Bible say? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that these are um, wrong ways. But I feel like sometimes it just puts us in a very uh, confined box when we say, what's the right thing to do with this Bible say? Because the reality is the Bible doesn't always speak specifically to every situation of our lives. It just doesn't. We wish it would, but it doesn't. It's not how it was meant to be. What I've discovered was a new question that kind of helps us along a little bit more. And this is the question. This is the question that's helped me, and I've told other people, and it seems like it helped them. But whenever you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, this is the question I would ask. What can I do here that will give God the greatest glory? What can I do here that will give God the greatest glory? It doesn't exclude the what is the right thing to do or the what does the Bible say. It actually, it's actually the bigger umbrella here. Because what I find is when we, ever, when we go to what does the Bible say, which is often a big one, right, as Christians, what does the Bible say about the situation? We, we often read it wrongly. We, 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 we read it out of context, or we read into it what we want it to say. But this whole idea of what, does, what gives God the greatest glory this does several things. It gives the bigger picture, because what it does, it's an attempt for us to try to understand. And mind you, you'll never achieve this fully, but it helps us and forces us to try to understand the heart of God the Father. What would he do in this situation? What would he want me to do in this situation? What would please him the most in this situation? As opposed to saying, what does that Bible verse say? See, all that is part of it. Because understanding God's heart is from this scripture right here. So we have to know that. We have to understand that. But if we just say, here's the situation. Here's one or two verses about it. A lot of times we read it out of context. We don't wrestle with God. We don't pray. We don't seek him. We simply say, this is what it says. Boom, done. 
without looking at the overall thematic of what God's purpose of this world is, what his heart is. Because when we do that, we understand that God is both forgiving but also holy. Right? That he is loving but also just. What can I do here that will give God the greatest glory? We're going to get a little practical now. What does this look like? I've had a number of years now of pastoral counseling. And uh, one of the hardest things to do in pastoral counseling is to strike the balance of grace and truth. If you know my personality, I'm a people pleaser. I love to administer grace. That's easy for me to do. What I don't like to do is administer truth. There's always a balance of that. Because when someone needs grace and you offer them truth, they feel disillusioned and angry at you. When someone needs truth and you offer them grace, you enable them in their continual sin, act of sin or whatever wrong they're doing and they don't actually get freed from their wrongdoing. So it's always a struggle for me and I always have to pray, Lord, is this a situation where I need to administer grace or administer truth? And when it's grace, it's like, oh, I could do that. But when it's truth, like, oh, I don't want to do this, Lord. Because the people pleaser in me just doesn't want to have to have those conversations. But I've come to realize that I can't be a people pleaser. I need to be a Jesus pleaser. One of the things I've noticed nowadays as I do more and more counseling with people, you know one of the greatest challenges to following Jesus is narcissism. Narcissism. We are in a world now that just fills and fills and breathes and breathes narcissism. It's all about you. Take the selfie. Put it up there. Let everyone see what you're doing. Oh, let me see how many people liked it. It's all about narcissism. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you do selfies that you're a narcissistic. I'm just saying the whole society is saying it's all about you. And this is how it's crept into the church. This is Christian, this is Christian narcissism. Christian narcissism is you going to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? That's Christian narcissism. The gospel exists for me. God exists for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. Yes, that's true. But only me. That's Christian narcissism. And I find that this has become sort of an undercurrent challenge in the discipleship of Christians right now. Because what it says is everything I do, every decision I make is warranted by what it feels for me, how it benefits how I feel. So if it feels really good, I'm going to do it. But if what God wants me to do doesn't feel good at all, well, then, then I'm not going to do it because it doesn't feel good for me. Usually when I do these pastoral counseling sessions, the conversation begins with, it ends up really having three main questions. The first one I ask them is, do you still want to follow God? You know, they come to me and we talk, and my first question at some point in the conversation is, do you still want to have a relationship with God? Depending on how you answer this, our conversation will go different ways. And, And the ones that say yes, then I ask them the next question. What do you think will give God the greatest glory in this situation? And a lot of times, their answer is, they know what it is, but it's not what they want. To which I would usually end the conversation, well, maybe this is the cross you have to carry. I had conversations with men, you know, husbands who tell me they struggle with, they're struggling in their marriage, they're no longer in love with their wife, they're not attracted to their wife, and they've met some other women, convinced that this is sent from God, 
convinced that if they have this relationship with this new woman, then it will open up their walk with God and they'll live, you know, even more freely and happily and they'll follow Jesus even more. And, and I say to them, you really think that's going to give God the greatest glory? Maybe you're struggling in your marriage right now. Yes, it's not fun. It's not what you remembered it to be, you know? Maybe this pain and suffering or this, this, this sort of dragging that you have, for the moment, maybe that's the cross you have to carry to give God the greater glory, which is you're unified in him. God does not want the separation. Maybe that's the cross you have to carry. Conversely, I, there was this woman in my, that I knew in my church whose husband had suffered from something called Pick's disease, which is, I think, like a brain degenerative disease. And basically, by the time I even met her husband, he was a, literally a vegetable, drooling in, in a, one of these care home, aged care homes. And by the time I, I met her and, and got to know her and him, I, it's been almost 10 years that she has traveled with him in this state of mind. And when you talk to her, she says, you know, I, all her friends by year three or four have said to her, why even with him? Like, it's, it's depressing you. She, she was struggling. This wasn't a joy of her. She was struggling. Every time she'd leave the age she said she'd sit in the car or parking lot and cry for hours. And all her friends would say, you need to just leave him. This is not good for you. But you know what she believed in? Till death do us part. Because she made that vow under God. And she'd always say to me, whenever we talk, she'd always come up to me and she'd say, you know what, Ronnie? God is more concerned with my holiness than my happiness, is always what she'd say. You think that was a cross that she had to bear? You bet you're right, she did. But I believe, and she'd believe, that the greatest glory to give to God was to stay with this, her husband till death do them part. Here's the last example. This is a hot topic now. I know this. But it's becoming more and more of the conversation in my church. number of times now, I have people who say, Ryan, I really need to talk to you. I really need to talk to you. Pull me over. And they say, Ronnie, I got to let you know I'm gay. I've experienced same-sex attraction. I'm gay. I don't know what to do, or I know what I'm doing. I have a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. Da-da-da-da. And they say, but I, I still believe in God. I want to follow God. And I, I want to know what, what you think. I want, I want your advice, or I want to hear what you're thinking about this. And I say to them, firstly, I would say to them, let me, let me start by this saying. I go, what kind of friend do you want me to be? I first assure them, I go, this doesn't change anything for me. You're still a friend that I love, and I care about you. But right now, I need to know, what kind of friend do you want to be? Friend A is the friend who will just tell you what you want to hear, or friend B is is a true friend who will tell you what I think is my opinion, but I'll tell it to you because I think it will either help you or not, but it's my opinion. I'm not going to lie to you. I'll tell you the truth. And I have these conversations because I know at one point we might agree, but at some point we might not agree anymore. And so when we get to that point where we disagree, I say, hold on. Let's, I feel like we're going to get at a point of disagreement. So I wanted to ask you again, do you want to be friend A or friend B? And they always say friend B, of course, right, because they want to know. They trust me as a friend. And so we had this conversation. I said, well, the way I read the scriptures, same-sex attraction is no different, right? It's not part of God's creation. No, no less has part of God's creation as lying, stealing, cheating, and murder. That's, that's how I see it. 
but for me then to pursue a relationship with someone in the same sex attraction. To me, that does not give God the greatest glory in that situation. And I tell him that. So you want to know my opinion, that's what I think. You having same-sex attraction, you're still part, like everyone is part of the grace of God. But if you're asking me that if you want to follow Jesus and you want to follow God, and you're asking my opinion, the question I bring to you is, you know, what gives God the greatest glory? I don't think having this relationship with someone will. And then they often ask me back and say, does that mean I have to be single my whole life? Does that mean I have to be celibate and all that? I said, I don't know. In this point in time, how do I know? But I say, but maybe this is the cross you might need to carry if you want to follow Jesus. What we're talking about this particular topic, I know it's a little bit of a hot topic. And like I said, it, it turns out in my, the, the church that I'm planting in, in Australia right now, we just found that we are in the heart of the gay community of the city. And so I'm having these conversations all the time. In fact, we've had a lot of people uh, who have come and enjoyed, have enjoyed our services because we make it a value to accept everyone in our church. And we've done that well, but because we've done that well, we've got a lot of people with different backgrounds and personalities. And now this is one of those conversations we're having, I'm having all the time. One of the things I, I, I really want to bring up here, it's sort of a side note, is we're kind of treading on the idea of conviction right now, right? Because here's the thing. Uh, the cross I have to carry for my life may not be a burden for you. The cross and the burden that you have to carry may not be a burden for someone else. Everyone has different burdens and convictions. It's the Holy Spirit doing that, right? But here's the thing about convictions I think it's really important because there's this term here, agree to disagree, which I feel like is a bit of a lost phrase nowadays. Because a lot of times uh, what happens is there are two opinions of something, and there's always someone who just is convinced that they're, they're right, and the other person is convinced they're right, and there's a stalemate, right? There's a stalemate. It's what we do in that stalemate that's really important for the cause of Christ in the mission of our church. I'll tell you where I think sometimes the church has gone wrong in the past. Somehow the church has believed that to love and accept someone means that we endorse everything they do. That's such a false lie. Conversely, right, what the world needs to understand, that just because we don't believe in the same conviction doesn't mean we hate them either. See, there's, right now, there are this two, there's, there's a lot of explosion in this conversation, especially with the church and the gay community, because the church is afraid that if I accept and love someone, it means that I, I endorse everything they do, which is such a false statement, right? But then the gay community goes, well, you don't agree with me, you must hate me, you're a bigoted, and you're just prejudiced against me, and that's like, well, that's just as equally wrong. So we have to get into our minds that we can actually agree to disagree. I want to share a personal story that, you know, I have a really dear person that I love who is gay, who's, who's been in a long relationship, who has a partner, who's married to this partner. And I think it was several years back in America, it was, it was kind of the big thing, right? Legalizing marriage for same sex and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, I don't remember all the details because it was all different federal state. I don't, I didn't follow, I only followed from Facebook. All I remember was this particular person posted what was like a celebratory victory post on, on for the, you know, for the gay community. Yes, they legalized marriage. 
Now, this is a really dear person to me. And I remember sitting there contemplating how to respond. Because on one hand, I'm going, theologically, I'm not so sure this fits within my theological constructs, right? But on the other hand, because I love this person, there was this just in natural, in intuitive joy. Because, you know, when you love someone and they get what they want, you're happy for them, right? I couldn't, I couldn't reject that. I couldn't resist it. And so I'm in this tension of going, this doesn't agree with me, the decision. At the same time, though, I just want to tell this person I'm happy for them. That's when I realized it's okay to express someone that you're happy for them without endorsing what they do or everything they're about. And so all I wrote was this little private message. I said, I know you know that we don't necessarily agree on the, on the issue here. But I just want you to know that I'm really happy for you. I just felt like I couldn't leave it quiet to not to just let this go by. For this big moment in your life, to let it go by silence. So I just want you to know I'm really happy for you and glad that you get to experience a sense of fulfillment of what you want. The response I got back was, you do not know how much that means to me, that you shared it that way. Don't get me wrong. My views and my convictions still hold still of what I believe the Bible says about this topic. But it doesn't mean we can't express our love and acceptance of people with different opinions, different convictions. Here's the thing when there's a standpoint of convictions. You, you, you know what we oftentimes can fall to think? It is in our job description to change someone's conviction. And that is not our job description. We are followers of Christ. We present the values of God and his, holy, his holiness. But you know whose job it is to change people's hearts and convictions? It's the Holy Spirit. If you want to take his job decision, go right ahead. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to fail miserably. In fact, you don't want his job description. You know the moment I actually started enjoying my role as a pastor, as a minister of, of God, you know, in a church? It was the morning I realized it's not my job to change people's hearts about him. That's when I was able to actually get out of bed and go, I can actually go into my office and enjoy this now. It's actually freeing to understand it's not my job description to change people's hearts. It's just to present who Jesus is and allow the Spirit of God to change their hearts. This is important for the church, guys, especially in today's climate. As we deal with tougher and tougher issues like this, we need to let the Spirit do His thing and we do our thing, which is to love, represent well, stand firm, but not arrogantly, but lovingly. In Luke's passage, when he talks about denying yourself and he gives that message, Jesus ends it with this statement. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, the, the Jewish and Hebrew concept of hearing is not some, it's not similar to how we in the Western concept would, would think of it. In the Western context, if I said to Heng Chung, I said, Heng Chung, I need you to go to the store and get me milk. Did you hear me? He said, yep, I heard you, right? In a Jewish context, when he says, I heard you, the assumption is he's getting the milk. It's actually in my hand already. That's when I know he's actually heard me, right? So it's not just I hear it in my ear. The Jewish concept is when you hear something, you're going to do it. 
That's the concept. And so when Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me, to deny yourself and carry your own cross, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So in other words, if you want to be a follower of Christ, that is what you need to do. And so if you want to follow me, that is what you will do. Let them hear. Because followers of Christ are people of spirit who actually respond to the spirit with obedience. That's what it means. I'm just going to close with a personal story now um, that sort of really kind of encapsulates, for me, when I was, you know, how this sermon was, came to be in the midst of this sermon when I did a couple of months ago. About two months ago, I was just sitting in my desk at home and I was preparing for a different sermon and uh, I got I got I, you know I got a message about something that was going on back here actually in New York of a close friend who wasn't doing so well and and it was one of those moments where I just really wish I was back in New York and you know and at that point I had already missed a lot of things you know like I was in that moment where I really wish I was in New York, suddenly it was like the whole entire burden of missing home just came crashing down on me. And that was like five minutes. The memories of missing like all the weddings, all the, all the, all the weddings of the youth kids that I invested years of my life in that I would have loved to be here to celebrate with them. Suddenly the whole number of them that I missed just came to my memory. All the little things like the reunions of the family. You know, I was thinking about my own parents, you know, and, and just, just that memory of, oh, I wish I could just pay them back for all the ways they've sacrificed for me, but I can't now because I'm over there. And, and all these things were just on my heart. And, and, and the only response I had at that moment was, Lord, this just stinks. I'm pretty sure I used more aggressive words, but that's the one I could say right now. This just stinks. And the question stopped following. Lord, why, why, why is it me? Why do I have to do this? Why is this the life that you gave me, right? Ridiculous questions like, why isn't there teleportation, right? Or why couldn't Perth and New York City be a little bit more closer in reality? Like, just ridiculous questions which basically was just whinging and whining and complaining, right? So I had a little bit of a whinge fest in that moment on my desk. And then the question came. Well, actually, several questions. The first question was, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And the Lord brought to my mind the ministry that we were doing, the people in our church, the, 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 the lives that were being transformed. And he said, is this worth it? And then God turned and it says, am I worth it? Am I worth it? And I couldn't resist. I couldn't deny. Yeah, Lord, you're worth it. And then the question came. Then Ronnie, what is the greatest thing you could do right now to give me glory? It wasn't to sit there and whinge about it. It was to understand this is where God wants me to be right now. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I, I, I don't want it to sound like my time in Australia is just every day I'm just complaining and I hate it, I'm grueling through it, and I wish I wasn't there. It's not like that at all. I, I enjoy it. 
I do believe that's where we're meant to be right now. But this burden of missing family and, and, and just familiarity and just the little things, don't get me wrong, that is, that is the burden, the cross that I'm carrying right now, that we're carrying as a family there. But it's worth it. So I'm going to end this with you. Every single day, you have a choice to make. You're faced to make a decision. And that question that comes up is, what is the greatest thing? What is the thing I could do right now that gives God the greatest glory? I would encourage you that as much as it goes against what feels right, as it goes against what you desire deep in the pit of your stomach, if that's what gives God the greatest glory, Maybe that's the cross you need to carry if you want to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning or this afternoon. Father, again, I pray that you would release anyone that feels guilty right now. That is not the intent of this message. That is not the intent of your heart. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus, that it's not about feeling guilty. No one should be walking out of here feeling less worth of themselves, Lord. So I pray, Lord, right now, you fill everyone here with your grace. But in that grace, Lord, may the seeds of truth also be there. So that we can become more effective disciples of Christ. So the kingdom of God can advance further and stronger. As you call us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. good questions to ask ourselves. Do we want to follow Jesus? What would bring him the most glory in the situation that we're in right now that may be difficult? What would be the most? What would give him the most glory? And if it involves sacrifice, if it involves denying ourselves, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? about those questions today and if there's anybody that needs prayer you know pastor I just I'm just struggling right now I need prayer we invite you up to come up and pray and uh, we we would love to pray with you so uh, as we depart today if you if you would like prayer please come forward we'll pray with you and I just want to encourage you we do have lunch today there will be lunch served. So if you want to stay for lunch, please stay. Let me pray over you right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Ronnie's message to us, Lord. We thank you for the word that you've spoken here and the questions that you've given us that are not easy questions to answer at times. But Lord, I pray that as we face the cross that you call us to bear, Lord, that we will pick that up knowing it's worth it. Knowing that you will receive glory as we walk with you. And knowing, Lord, that uh, it's a joy to be in fellowship with you. It is a delight to be used by you. So, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, you would bless your people. That you give them the grace, the strength, 
and the truth of understanding the cross that they need to bear. Lord, that we would bear that with thanksgiving, that we'd bear that with the grace that you give. We pray this all in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.